Salus populi ego sum, dicit Dominus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Today's Holy Mass opens with the introit, of course, but with an unusual introit. Nearly every Sunday, in the introit of the Mass, we address God. The prayer rises from the Church heavenward, generally in the words of the psalmist. Not so today. It is God who seizes the first word before we have a chance to open our mouths. God addresses us. And what does he say? Words of immense comfort. Salus populi ego sum which can be variously translated. I am the health of the people. Or, I am the wholeness of the people. I am the healing of the people. I am the salvation of the people, saith the Lord. Now, that little phrase, ego sum, is characteristic in sacred scripture of divine pronouncements. More than divine pronouncements, divine self-revelations. When God says, ego sum, I am, it should make us Listen with attention and faith. What is God going to tell us about himself here? Ego sum, I am. And if we were to go through the fourth gospel, we would find a whole series of divine self-revelations. Jesus says, I am the living bread come down from heaven. He says, I am the door. If anyone enter through me, he shall be saved. He says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We might construct a whole litany of invocations to our Lord Jesus Christ, based on the I am sayings of the Gospel of St. John. Ego sum. And today our Lord presents himself to us, not only as our physician, he is the divine physician, not only as the divine physician, but as healing itself. He makes us whole, does not St. Peter say it, by his wounds we are healed. 
it's almost as if today our Lord would have our entrance into Holy Mass be something like an entrance into a clinic. Something like admission to the hospital. And he is the attending physician. Not only is he the physician, he is the medicine. He is the cure. He is our wholeness. And so this intro, right from the first line, gives us an irrepressible hope. It gets better. What else does he say in the intro? De quacunque tribulatione clamaverunt ad me exaudiamus. Now, people are very keen on divine promises. People will uh, go in search of what our Lord has promised to this privileged soul and to that privileged soul, forgetting that all of sacred scripture and sacred scripture given us by the church and the liturgy all of sacred scripture is full of divine province pro promises and so he makes a promise in the second sentence of the intro in whatever tribulation they shall cry to me that quacunque whatever tribulation that quacunque is very important. Our Lord does not say, in tribulation they shall cry to me, I will hear them. He wants to make it very clear that he places no conditions on his promise. In whatever tribulation they shall cry to me, I will hear them. Exaudiam eos. There you have it, a divine promise. You cannot hear this and go away unchanged. After hearing God say this, after hearing God make this promise, why, it's life-changing, is it not? And then he says, et ero ilorum dominus, in perpetuum, and I will be their Lord forever, in perpetuum, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now this second self-revelation, declaration, in the first part of the intro it, our Lord says, ego sum. And then, in the last phrase of the intro, he says, et ero, and I will be ilorum dominus, their Lord. What is this dominus about? What is this dominus? The dominus is a royal title, a messianic title, a title given to the anointed of God. This word is a revelation of the kingship of Christ. And we must understand this 
with all the implications of kingship in sacred scripture. The king provides for his people. The king has the heart of a father. The king has the heart of a shepherd. This is no mere remote authority on a throne far away. This is the king who comes down among his people and with humility and tenderness asks, tell me, what do you need? When our Lord says this in the intro, et ero ilorum dominus, and I will be their Lord in perpetuum, forever, he is saying, and I will look after them and provide for all their needs. And this even into eternity. And so we have all of this in the intro of today's Mass. And what about the collect today? <coughs> People sometimes miss the collect. It, it passes too quickly. And this is why Mother Church makes us repeat the collect, not only at Holy Mass, but at Matins, at Lauds, at Terse, at Sext, at Known, and at Vespers, in the hours of the Divine Office throughout the day. If you missed it at one hour, you can get it at another. The Church has a marvelous pedagogy in the Sacred Liturgy. She repeats what is important so that we have not just one or two opportunities to grasp what is on offer, but many opportunities in the course of the day. And what do we have in today's collect? We begin by addressing God himself. And what do we call him? Omnipotens et misericors Deus. Oh, you might say that's uh, a mere formula. It's uh, a kind of... Uh, polite address. Not at all. It means exactly what it says. Omnipotens et misericors Deus. O almighty and merciful God. Now, how do we know that God is almighty? How do we know that he is merciful? Where do we get this idea? Whence comes this form of address? We know that God is almighty and merciful because he has told us so and because he has revealed in the course of history and in the course of our lives that he is at once all-powerful and merciful. And so we base our prayer on our experience of God, and not only on experience, but on faith. That is, we base our prayer on what God has revealed to us concerning himself, and on the evidence of it, the evidence of it, in the lives of the saints, in the history of the church, in our personal experience. And so we can say, omnipotens et misericordes Deus, O almighty and merciful God, and then we say, Universa nobis adversantia propitiatus exclude. Hmm. How shall we render that? That propitiatus has in it 
the little word pity, doesn't it? Pity. Pietas is a beautiful quality. The Latin pietas means the utter devotedness of a father to his child. I often say to the brothers that the Latin pietas, and, and it was, it was a, a virtue in ancient Rome, pietas. We won't explore that today. But pietas is an extraordinarily rich word in the Bible and in the sacred liturgy. Pietas is a divine attribute. It tells us that God is so devoted to each one of us that he acts like a father bending to his little child, saying, and what may I do for you? What may I do for you? What do you need? That's pietas. The father who is utterly devoted to the child. So I find that beautiful that we use that word uh, uh, propitiatus in this collect. And we ask him in his devotedness to us to keep us from universa adversantia, to keep us from all of those things that come against us, the things that threaten to hit us in the face, the things that threaten to harm us, to devastate us. Not just adversity. Adversity, we, we don't always go to the etymology of the word. It's We're praying here to be protected from the things that come at us in life. From all things hurtful, says one translation, that we, being hmm, pariter expediti, some translations have that we being uh, ready, I suppose that would be one translation. Expediti, Dom Chrysostom, do you have an alternative translation? Ready, you, you take that, do you? You accept that. Uh, Dom Hildebrand. Unhindered. Unhindered, I like that, I like that. It, it has about it being, being able to act. Being able to act, that's what it means. In both body and soul. This is the genius of the Roman rite, dear friends. The church always prays for benefits that will affect both body and soul. There's no kind of... Uh, we don't pray as if we were disembodied creatures who float around, huh? carried on currents of air. No. The church asks for graces, yes, graces, for body and soul, that we may be unimpeded, free to act, able to go forward, and then, and may accomplish those things. Oh, I'm not quite sure I like this. Que tua sunt liberis mentibus exequamur, that we may be able to carry out and this is the most beautiful phrase in the collect, to my mind. I love this. Que tua sunt. 
the things that are thine, the things that belong to thee. It's a beautiful phrase because it is so close to the words of Jesus at the age of 12 when he was found by our Blessed Lady and St. Joseph in the temple. Did you not know that I must be about the things that are my father's? The things that are my father's. And St. Paul in the Epistle to the Colossians says, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Again, another way of saying the things that are the Father's. This means the Father's goodness, the Father's omnipotence, the Father's mercy, the Father's will for us, the Father's design on our life. To seek quetuasunt the things that are thine. And in saying this collect, I seem to hear in counterpoint the words of our Lord from the Sermon on the Mount. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart. So we have all of this in the collect of today's Mass and Divine Office. Just one little word about the Gospel. Um, you, the brothers know well that I have a, a um, what shall we call it, a principle of liturgical hermeneutic huh? that says, that's a very grand way of saying, uh, I have a way of pulling out of the mass of the day certain connections. And I very often see such a connection between the offertory antiphon of the mass and the end of the gospel. Now, you might say, oh, come on, Father Pryor. Surely the uh, people uh, who framed the propers of the Mass centuries and centuries and centuries ago didn't see in the juxtaposition of these texts what you're seeing in them. Well, people use the same argument with regard to sacred scripture. Ah, but come on, the human author never intended you to find that. And it's the same thing in the sacred liturgy. Not everything the human compilers of the liturgy intended to put in it uh, encloses what the Holy Ghost intended us to take out of it, to find in it. And so the Holy Ghost allows us to discover, it seems to me, every time we celebrate a feast, a Sunday, a weekday, new treasures, things that the Holy Ghost intended to put into the Mass of the Divine Office for us today. Do you follow me? Now, what's the last sentence of the Gospel? It's what the King said to the waiters, to the servants. Bind his hands and feet, the poor man. This is the chap who went into the wedding feast and he was not appropriately dressed. And that constituted an insult to uh, the provider of the feast. 
you honor the giver of the banquet by presenting yourself in such a way that your whole person is clothed in gratitude and in joy. That gives pleasure to the giver of the party, you see. And so this man, he, with his careless attire, that was an affront, a lack of gratitude. And so the king says, bind his hands and feet and cast him into, here's the key word, the exterior darkness, in tenebras exteriores. What a terrible fate. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, it, it ends the gospel uh, on a rather despairing note. Do you not think? The, the, the poor chap is cast out into the darkness outside. And that's the end. That's, that's, that's all we hear of the man. It's a terrible fate. Ah, do you think? What's the offertory antiphon? Have you looked ahead? We're going to sing it in just a few minutes. What is it? If I shall walk in the midst of tribulation, Thou wilt quicken me, O Lord, and thou wilt stretch forth thy hand against the wrath of my enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. Who's singing that? The chap who was cast out into the outer darkness. He hit bottom. His being cast out was not the disaster it appears to be. It was a moment of grace. And it's only after having been cast into the outer darkness, that he comes to his senses and raises his mind and heart to God and experiences the omnipotence and the mercy of God, the two divine attributes which we evoked in the collect at the beginning of the Mass. And so he begins to sing, if I shall walk in the midst of tribulation, Thou wilt quicken me, O Lord. That means thou wilt give me new life. Put a spring in my step. That's what that means. And thou wilt stretch forth thy hand against the wrath of my enemies. It's exactly what we talked about in the collect. Protect me from the things that are coming at me. You have it again in the offertory. Thou wilt stretch forth thy hand against the wrath of my enemies and thy right hand. That's the right hand in the Bible is the strength of God, the might of God, the divine omnipotence. And thy right hand shall save me. Et salvum me facia dexera tua. Save me, yes, but also, and thy right hand shall make me whole. Thy right hand shall heal me. Which brings us back to the intro of the Mass. The right hand here is not only the omnipotence of God, it's the hand of the divine physician who acts to heal. So be it in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.